episode 103 of Coffee and Co-Read, your source for all things literary with Catherine and Kristen, where we believe there's nothing better than a hot coffee and an awesome book. Join us for our virtual book club where we take one book a month and dive into all the drama, adventure, and romance we can find. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Kristen. So today we thought we would talk about, uh, quickly, just book merch. So not the books themselves, but the merch that goes along with it. Like, do you have very much of it? Are you into it? Do you think it's a good idea? Where do you land on the side of book merch? Yeah, so I I think I'm kind of maybe middle. Like, I, I love mugs. I love book mugs and a book mug. God, I want them all. Every time I see one, I want to buy it because I just love mugs in general. And if it has something to do with a book that I love, all the better. So that is probably my preferred book merch, maybe. I mm-hmm. Possibly. Um, but I do, I like other merch too. I like stickers. I finally like got over my fear of where to put stickers because that's a big thing. Um, so I have them all on my mini fridge now and they actually have somewhere to live. So I do like stickers. Um, clothes. I always want clothes. And then I'm like, where are you going to wear this? You don't leave your house other than to go to work. So <laughs> that one is a bit different. Um, but there are clothes like, especially some of the targeted ads that I get on like Facebook and stuff for clothes. I'm like, yes, I want that so bad. Yeah. But then I'm also like, it, it, it it always depends because a lot of times I'm like, is this a real shop? Like, is it actually endorsed by the author? Is it like, like there was a really popular fourth wing one and then the dragon on the front wasn't, wasn't even a dragon. And it was like, yeah. also somebody got a, that tattoo and didn't realize that it was a wyvern, whatever, however you say it. Every time I say it, I say it wrong, but mm-hmm. They literally got the two main dragons from the book and then accidentally had them drawn as wyverns. So that's sad. But yeah, you know, there's always, there's always books where wyverns are your friends. (laughs) Anyway, not the point. But yeah, so I, I do like it. I always want to buy it and then I'm like no you have too much stuff you own too much stuff stop it (laughs) (laughs) what about you uh I love book merch Mm. um like love 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 it it's it's uh, it's becoming a thing (laughs) so I just like the thing is obviously it has to be a book I really really like so like Mm -hmm. I would take any fourth wing merch. I'd take any Akatar merch, TOG merch. I would take Crescent City merch. It wouldn't be my top choice, but I would take it. Um, like, I would take, I would, I'm just looking at my bookshelf. Like, there's so many books and series of merch that I would absolutely take and be yeah. completely okay with. I did just buy a shit ton of stuff off of Etsy. So I've got a, a new phone case. And I've purchased a bunch of stickers and I've put them all over my laptop 
Nice. Uh, and <laughs> it's probably not appropriate. Um, so, like, oh, yeah. uh, the ones on the... laptop? Yeah, my work laptop. <laughs> Fair. Now, in saying that, everybody is decorating their laptop. I am not the only one that has oh, put yeah, stickers yeah, on yeah. the outside of their work laptop. Everybody is doing it. However, yeah. um, on the inside of my laptop, I have two stickers put on the inside, like, on either side of my mouse pad. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, so one of them says, save a dragon, ride Zayden. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And then the other one is, like, a sticker of a book. And it says, a court of smut and wingspan. Yes. (laughs) Amazing. But I I put them on the inside. Yeah. (laughs) So, like, they're sort of less visible. The kids, like, don't have direct. Yeah. You know. <laughs> and, like, to be fair, if they saw the word smut, I don't even know if they'd know what it means. The ones who know what it means are reading it. Yeah. And, like, the ones that know what it means and are reading it, I'm okay with them knowing that I also read it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. But it's, and it's also, like, if you had a quart of anything on it, then obviously they know you're reading it. So it's, like... Yeah. Yeah. And they all know, like, who my favorite... They all ask, because I put up... I've got one of those little boards where I put quotes up all the time. Mm. And I have put up SJM quotes, and they're mm-hmm. like, who is that? And I've told them that it's my favorite author, Sarah J. Mass, And, like... Yeah. So they're... They're not oblivious. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. But, yeah. I die for mugs. Like, absolutely live. I, I want all the mugs, even though my husband's like, you have enough mugs. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also love, I like, I love clothing, too. I've got several shirts, and I, I wear them to school. Mm-hmm. My mom has started buying me, like, so usually now my mom will get me something either book-related or teacher-related. But at the same time, like, is it weird to wear a teacher shirt saying how good a teacher you were when your mom gave it to you. (laughs) That's an interesting question. It's an interesting question. Right? Yeah. I just, yeah, that's, so, I don't know. But, but yeah, like, I'll take all the merch, give it to me anyway Mm -hmm. I can get it, I will take it, and I will like it. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess that one and wasn't, yeah. was a fast one. You know, no. But, you know, we sort of want to get straight into it, don't we? Yeah. Um, so, I guess this is just our heads up that we are not a spoiler-free zone and things might get saucy. They won't, but maybe they will. Because <laughs> it's a YA book. Because <laughs> it's a YA book, so they won't, but... Maybe we will. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. Maybe we will. Yeah. <laughs> Better. Better answer. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's our third week with Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross. And we're reading chapters 25 to 35. So last week, um, some stuff happened. And what was that stuff? Some stuff. Um... 
Iris decided to quit the newspaper after her only real connection in Oath died, her mother. So she decided she needed to find her brother because he is her only person that is left. So she's going to the front to be a war correspondent. Um, she also realized that the magic that sent her letters to somebody who wasn't her brother was actually because of the typewriter, not because of the house or the wardrobe or whatever else. Um, so she ends up in, what is this place called again? Avalon's Bluff. Yes, Avalon's Bluff, uh, with her new friend Addie, and they're staying with um, Marisol, who owns a B&B, and they're kind of seeing what war really means, and they're seeing injured soldiers, and it's really hard and impactful and Addie is going to the front lines for a week um or she did go she's back now because they had a conversation afterwards yeah so Addie went to the front lines and I guess next time will be Iris's turn so that is on her radar as well so there's just a lot happening um she's also obviously writing to this mysterious person who told her that his name is Carver um, and he told her that he is going to be away for a bit, but he'll message her as soon as he can. So wonder what that could mean. And we also know who he is, but she doesn't. It's Roman and he used to work with her and they have a rivalry. So on to this week. Um, Iris starts writing a letter to Carver but she realizes partway through that she should actually be writing to herself. And she kind of like scratches, like she decides she's not going to send it to him. And she just writes out like, kind of like journaling to kind of like get your feelings and get your emotions processing and all that stuff. So she says in her letter, she doesn't know what's to come, but she is strong and that she will write what she needs to and what is true. So last week she was kind of having a bit of a crisis over whether or not she was strong enough to do this and whether she could explain the realities of war because it's obviously a daunting job. So mm -hmm. this week she's decided that she, she can do it. So that's good. Good, um, good for her. Exactly. We love it. Um, so after that, Iris and Addie actually go outside to plant seeds. And I think it's been like a week since they got the garden ready. Um, but anyway, they're, it's, this is the time that they can do it. Um, but they both feel super peaceful doing it. And like, it's, I guess a repetitive motion and like you're thinking about something. So your brain is occupied. So they're both enjoying it until they hear a siren and it's during the day. So it means that there are ethrals on the way and they have two minutes. So they have to get into the house and close all the windows and basically like shut her down and not move. Um, yeah. So Iris goes upstairs to do all those windows and Addie stays downstairs to cover all of the windows downstairs. And when Iris is in her room, she sees someone walking towards town through her window and they're just like 
in the field and she's just like what the hell is that person doing they have to get down and not move because that's what you're supposed to do when you're out in the open so she goes into Addie's room and gets the binoculars that they used yesterday night to um, see the stars and she looks out and it is Roman (laughs) and he's about to get himself and everybody killed because like if an ethereal drops a bomb on him where he is now, it'll have collateral damage. Like, it won't just hit yes. him. It's near yeah. enough to town. So she's like, what the actual fuck is going on? And you're like, you could probably... Anyway, fine. Um, but, like, so... I'm just sorry, but, like, two minutes, the amount of time it probably took for her to hear the siren be like, okay, let's get upstairs, goes upstairs, mm-hmm. looks out the window, sees him, goes to Addie's room, gets the binoculars, to look and make sure that it's him. Sure, that two minutes is already gone. Yeah. Let's be realistic here. Yeah. Maybe they took a long time to get there. (laughs) Maybe they took longer than normal this time. Um, But yeah, so she sees it's him, and she starts to sprint to the field. Um, The sirens actually stop, and she is still running towards Roman. And he sees her... And he runs towards her, and she gets to him and just, like, bowls him over and pushes him down onto his back. Um, Like, what do we think he was hope? like, what were we (laughs) thinking that he was, he sees her running towards him, and he's just like, she loves me, and just, like, starts running back. (laughs) And she just fucking tackles him to the ground, like, (laughs) love it. (laughs) Like, can you imagine what he was possibly, probably, probably thinking in that moment? Yeah. He was like, oh, she knows. She loves me. Yeah. Nope. Get the fuck down. She's excited to see me. Yeah. So she is still on top of him, of course. And she tells him not to move or speak. And she just stays lying on top of him. And they both are just, like, there. Um, She feels him tense. And she knows that the ethrals must be flying over. And it's getting cold there, too. So, like, they affect... It's kind of like, yeah, Dementors. They, like, suck out all the heat. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So they're... They're just lying there, super tense. He's actually watching them, which is... Even more tense. Yeah. I'd rather be on top looking at the ground. Yeah, that would be scary. Um... So Iris actually starts to tremble and he like holds her closer and you're like, oh, there's so in love. <laughs> but um, she, she thinks to herself that they fit together, but then she feels guilty because she obviously thinks she has feelings for Carver. <laughs> mm. You're like, if this mm. is going to be a thing in this book, I'm going to be so mad <laughs> It's like a gem in the holograms moment. Yeah, she's jealous over the person that is the same person. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. A gem. Do you not know the gem in the holograms reference? Yeah, I I do. For those of you that don't, I'm gonna get into it. Okay. So, Jerrica is the main character of the Gem in the Holograms TV show that came out in the 80s. That was one of my favorite TV shows of all time. Jerrica is the, the main girl, and she has a band. But she decided to make a secret identity 
I say she decided through holographic things so that she is not in the limelight all the time. She has a boyfriend named Rio and her, her, her gig, her band, she turns into Jim and I guess she like forgets herself, but she like flirts with Rio and goes on romantic dates with Rio as Jem and as Jerica, but like she's jealous of herself. And then for some reason he doesn't feel bad, which I sort of, he's sort of a sleazeball. It's because, because it he, was, it was an 80s TV show. Yeah. <laughs> but still. Same idea. She feels guilty that she has feelings for both of them, not realizing that they're the same person. Yes. She's Rio in this situation. She's just not a shitty person like Rio was. Yeah. Sorry, I had to get into it. No, it's fine. Um, it, it kind of also reminds me of Sailor Moon. Um, yes! Yes. Tuxedo Mask and whatever the hell his name is when he's not just Tuxedo Mask. Um, but I mean, like, I guess it depends on what version you're watching. True. Like, are you what? Are you watching like the old school? Like, are you watching the true anime Japanese version, or mm-hmm. are you watching the um, anglicized version that came on in the '90s? Because his name was Darian in the '90s. Yes, and I, I was more was watching Serena. the '90s one, but they're both good. But- <laughs> Sailor Moon Crystal is on now, and it's so good, and they have all of the original names. I just can't remember what they are now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of funny. It is kind of a parallel to that, because, like, she hates him. Yes. In his, like, normal form. But then, like, as Tuxedo Mask, she's, like, in love with him. So it's, like, an enemies to lovers. But he's the same. Yes. He's the same, because he hates her as a like he's yeah. like oh you're so annoying but sailor moon he's like ooh, sailor moon yeah yeah i love it anyway sidebar for 80s and 90s cartoons um so i used to, go sorry on. when i was a kid and sailor moon used to come on and you remember how she used to do like the i'm like moon prism power like her little transformation mm-hmm. I used to, I remember, like, standing up when the show came on, when that part came on, and doing the motion and doing the moves. Like I was transforming. I love it. I love it. Oh, God. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, so back to the book. Anyway. Um, So, they, like, it starts to get warm again, and they kind of start hearing people. So she opens her eyes and he's just studying her. So they kind of just look at each other for a while. And then she eventually is like, what the fuck? And she's pissed at him. And she asks him what the hell he's doing here. And he like puts his hand on her waist. And she thinks that if she wasn't so exhausted, she would move them or she would slap him. Or she would kiss him. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And you're like, yeah, you guys should just make out. Um, He actually just smiles at her and says it's good to see her again. And 
he does actually ask if those were Ethrals because he knows mythology. And he does put together that the sirens were a warning. And she tells him that Marisol can explain the other sirens to him. And he apologizes and says um, she shouldn't have risked herself for him. But she says that, like, if they had have dropped bombs, the whole town could have been leveled because of him. And, like, yeah. I get that she's super pissed at him, but also, how was he really supposed to know what to do in that situation? Like, I... I but, like... Yeah, I also... Because remember in the last last week's episode, the train stopped and then waited for nightfall before. So, like, did he just decide he was going to get off the train yeah. and walk the rest <laughs> of the way to town? Basically. Because he kind of like, says it later, but it's like, I, I, I don't know if... Yeah, it's weird. It's um, like, dude, come on. Be smarter. Yeah. So she obviously asks him why he's there, and he says that he's there to be a war correspondent. And she's like, but you got the columnist job. And he actually tells her that he didn't want to work for Autry anymore. So she asks about his engagement, and I'm like, good. I'm glad we're getting to this immediately, because if not, I would have been pissed. Yeah. But he says he broke it off, and he's here because his father wants him dead after he disappointed him and disgraced the family name. And you're like, woof. There's a lot to unpack there. So they walk to... The o- Can I... The only thing that I, like, that upsets me is that we're getting all of this after the fact. Like, I feel like this was part of the story that needed to be told. Like, him finally standing up to his father and, like, and, like saying no i'm not going to do this i'm not going to do that and then him like walking out of the house i feel like i wanted that scene and like it just feels weird that we're getting all this like the last time we were in his point of view he was having lunch with eleanor and like deciding he was gonna be a dutiful son and like you know and then what did his did the scene with his grandma telling him to like live his life but like I don't know, it just felt very abrupt. Like, we go from him saying, this is what I deserve, to his grandma being like, live your life. And, like, what, one little conversation, that's all it took for him to be like, grandma's right. And, like, I just just wish we would have seen part of that conversation with his father and being like, no, dad, you're a dick. Yeah. And it kind of, yeah, because, like, we got... We got a conversation where he tried to do that before. He was like, I'm not going to marry her. And then it went nowhere. So it's yeah. just like. Yes. It it makes me wonder if he just was like. Ran away and didn't actually say anything to his father. Um, but yeah, it's, it's odd. Because you're like, this feels like an important part of the story. Based on what we've gotten from him so far. So I just don't know why. I just don't know why. They did it this way. It makes me wonder what's going to happen in the next book and what's going to be important. So, like, I feel like maybe this scene was written and then it was just, like, edited out because they were like, nah, that's not an important part of the story. Then you're like, why was he? Well, I guess the other scene with his father was there for the specific instance to see what was in his office. Yes. But. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Anyway. Um, yeah, so they walk to the B&B, and they get back, and obviously Addie is there, and she is furious, um, 
because obviously Iris ran out of the house in the middle of a siren. Like, that is not what you're supposed to do. Um, but she asks if the Ethrals dropped a boy when they were flying over. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, who the fuck is this? Like, you, you ran out of the house and you come back with a person. Yeah, really, though. Um, so Iris obviously introduces Roman, and he already knows Addie's name. And he says it's an honor to meet her. And she just kind of smiles at him and asks if he has a copy. And Iris doesn't really know what's happening, but you're like, why do, how do you not know what's happening? So he obviously pulls out a picture of the tribu- Tribune and the front page has um, Addie's article on it and it's called The Path of Dacre's Destruction by Thea Atwood. So it is her name. So I, I don't understand why so they is. gave Iris a... I don't know. Maybe Iris's name is too simple. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she liked Thea's name but she didn't like Iris's name. Maybe. So yeah, Addie then takes the paper and says she needs to leave to write a letter to go, like, tell her prof, I guess, or, like, be like, in your face. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Roman reaches into his bag again and asks Iris if she thought he wouldn't bring one for her. And it's obviously a different day of the paper, but her article is on the front page. So, The Unexpected Face of War by Ingrid and Iris. So... Roman tells her that when Autry got or saw this paper, he was pissed and Prindle cheered when she saw it. So Prindle's a good person. Um, He asks her then why she's here. And she says brother is the reason, obviously, because that's what we know. Yeah. That is why. And she also says that she's there to write the truth. Because, like... Obviously, Autry was keeping them from writing anything that was actually about the war. Yeah. Significant. Um, Marisol cuts in then, and she starts yelling because she is hoping that they're fine from the ethereal overheadness, I guess. It, it seems like they didn't yeah. bomb anything. Well, I guess if everybody stood still, then they wouldn't feel the yeah. need to. So anyway, Marisol comes in and she's yelling. Um, and obviously the girls are fine, but Iris introduces Roman to, well, he kind of introduces himself, but he says he was supposed to get here tomorrow, but the train broke down a few kilometers away. So he walked and it kind of makes me wonder if the train just stopped and waited until nightfall. And he was like, Oh, must've broken down and just jumped up and walked. You're like, what? What? Yeah. That's what I wonder too. Actually. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he is kind of constantly looking at Iris and Marisol asks if they know each other and Iris says no at the same time as Roman says yes. So she, she basically, Iris basically is like, yeah, we worked together, but I don't really know him. (laughs) You're like, sure, bye. Um, Iris tries to give the paper back to Roman then but he tells her to keep it and he calls her by her first name, which is obviously not something they normally do. Um, And then Marisol takes him to his room and Iris just kind of thinks to herself that he's obviously here to outshine her again. And you're like, God damn it. 
But also, like, this is what I'm here for. Yep. But also, ugh. Um, Iris is awake late that night, thinking of her mother, and she's grieving and she's crying, and, like, she's not in a great headspace. But she can hear Roman typing in the next room, because he took the room right next to hers. And... Well, of yep. course he did. So she's hearing his clanking on the keyboards, and she thinks of Carver, and she falls asleep to the sound of typing. Um, the next day, Roman is late for breakfast, and, like, that's a big deal in this house. Like, Marisol's like, breakfast is this time sharp. Don't be late. So Marisol yeah. asks Iris to go, like, knock on his door. So she goes up, but there's no answer, and her stomach drops. So she, like, tries to open the door, but the door is locked. And she goes downstairs to tell them that, like, he's not he's, he's not, not there, there or he's not waking up or she doesn't know. And they're wondering what to do when he just, like, bursts in the back door. And he just tells them, like, he was out for a run and he apologizes for making them wait. And Marisol just tells he doesn't seem like he doesn't seem like a runner to me. No. No. Does he seem like like in the whole story leading up to this moment? Would his personality seem would he scream runner? No, to you? probably not. But I do like in this situation I can like see why one would start running. So maybe that's why he picked it up. But he's also like good at it. Yeah, he's good at it. So there's no way he just started it. I just it just doesn't seem he just doesn't seem like a runner. I think, but I think later he says that he did track and field, which is like not quite the same as running, but it's like like it is, but it's obviously on a track. It's not like you're not going outside and like it, it is different. Yeah, track and field, but yeah, yeah, it's interesting and it's just it is very out of nowhere and like it's not the same at all but it does make me think of persephone baking cookies (laughs) yeah um but i think we're just not in his head very much in the book like even though we do have his point of view occasionally like we're we're in his head much less than we're in iris's head um but yeah so marisol tells him not to run at night and to wait until it's late because of the hounds and he tells her he'll be back on time tomorrow and he winks at iris and iris is just like what the fuck (laughs) um later on iris is writing a letter to carver and telling him she misses him and she misses his words when roman knocks on her door and he asks her um to actually start running with him and immediately she's just like no way Uh, And she, I think she even says, like, she doesn't run. But he tells her it's, like, a good idea to do it for situations like today when she had to run towards him to stop the whole town from being bombed. So she kind of thinks about it and she says she'll consider it. Um, She goes back to her letter, but she decides that she doesn't want to sound desperate, so she throws it out. Um, but yeah, which is interesting. And it just makes me, I don't know. I guess it's hard. 
it's hard when you don't know who a person is that you're talking to, too. And like, but, and she also feels so in love with this person. It's just, there's so much to it. Um, so yeah, the next morning she wakes up and it is actually in time to be able to run. So she decides that she's going to, and she thinks it'll be good for when she goes to the front lines. Um, she also thinks about like how full of life Roman looked yesterday after his run. And she wants to feel that too. So she goes outside and meets him. Um, they obviously banter and he tells her like he knew that she wouldn't let a challenge slip away. And he asks her if she's ever run a mile before, but she hasn't. And he says they'll just start simple and work their way up. Um, she is basically like, I'm not going to be back tomorrow if you're a bad coach. So like make this sort of yeah flirty-ish they're they're very flirty-ish um so they walk a bit to warm up and then they run for one minute walk for two and they basically repeat it until they're gonna their plan is to like repeat that until they have to turn around to go back um she asks him why he's slowing down for her but he tells her it's nice to have company and they get to like the bottom of a pretty big hill and she asks if he's trying to kill her and he jokes the headline would be mm-hmm. Inkridden Iris and the hill that bested her. So like they're they're being pretty cute. He ends up helping her, like helping coach her basically up the mountain. And in her head she just keeps thinking, I won't be here tomorrow. <laughs> Because she doesn't need to. Yeah. So she's like, this is my mantra now. But they actually get to the top and apparently the view is so breathtaking and she cherishes it. And she didn't really take the time to look at it before. Uh, And then Roman tells her that they have five minutes to get back, but it's all downhill. So he starts running and she runs after him and she just thinks she wants to kill him. And they end up being seven minutes late for breakfast. Oh, yeah. dear. Um, I guess later that day, she gets a letter from Carver. And he wrote that he had a bad... No, not a bad dream. He had a dream about her. And says he is now able to write again. Um, so hmm. that's, that's good. <laughs> Iris writes back and says she missed him. And she asks for hints about his appearance. And then she actually tells him that her rival showed up to prove he's better than her. And she doesn't know what to do. And I was like, this is the time to be like, oh, maybe your rival isn't there to do better than you. Yeah. But that's not, that's not what he says. And obviously she also sends him a bunch of letters to ask him to mail them from the wounded soldiers. Um... And she asks how he and his nan are and what he does for work or if he's a student or like anything about his life, really, because she knows so little. Um, Iris and Addie later that day are watering the garden and Addie asks about them being late for breakfast. And apparently for, oh, it must have not been the same day because for the last week they've been running together and 
they've actually been on time the last two mornings and they always do the same circuit. So Iris is obviously getting a bit better every day. Um, and she loves the view. Good for yeah. her. Yeah. Yeah. The view. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, she, she also tells Addie that like Roman is just here to outperform her. Cause that is her story. Um, Roman then drops a piece of paper from his window down to, like, Iris, and Iris ignores it, but Addie is, like, super curious, and she grabs it, and it just says, alas, what is a cinnamon, cinnamon, cinnamon? A synonym? (laughs) (laughs) A synonym for sublime. And Addie is super disappointed. (laughs) But she just says, transcendent. And asks if he's writing about the Skyward Gods. And he says something like that. And Iris tells him divine. So he got his two synonyms. Um, Addie then tells Iris, like after he pops his head back in the window, that she wasn't sure about Roman, but he brings out the fire in Iris. And Iris kind of just counters that like Addie would be the same if her rival was here. And Addie just asks if that's actually why he's here. And you're like, duh. Yeah, it's like everybody can see yeah. it except for her. Um, Iris sees Marisol then. And I guess the captain or a captain is at her at Marisol's house. And the captain says he's able to bring one of them to the front. And then we pop over to Roman's point of view, and he hears the same thing, and he goes downstairs, and he thinks to himself, like, it has to be him that goes. But before he can volunteer, Iris says it's her turn. And he kind of cuts in and says he'll go too, but he'll, like, hold on to the sidestep because there's only one seat available, but he'll just hold on the whole way. Um because he doesn't want her to go without him and it's like protective reasons but obviously iris is gonna think that it's for outshining reasons yeah she doesn't see it she doesn't see it in a oh he's protecting me she sees it in a he's trying to horn in on my story way yeah exactly um yeah so they go upstairs to pack And she obviously asks Roman exactly that, like, why he's coming. And he, all he can think about is the fact that he just sent her a very important letter and now is a bad time for it. But there's nothing he can do because he's right beside her, basically. So, like, he can't, like, go into her room and grab it or anything. Um, so he wants to tell her the truth. But instead, he tells her that they might as well both go so they have more articles. And, like, this is one of the only times that I think we're in his head when he, like, struggles to say the right thing. And I actually appreciate it because it's some insight. Because, like, I just feel like he always says something wrong. <laughs> yeah. Bad. And I, I do like that we were actually in his head this time. Um, Obviously, Iris is pissed. And... She actually, in her head, thinks that she wanted him here safe. So, like, she almost feels the same way as him. But I also think she doesn't really want to admit it to herself. Um, 
so she goes to pack her bag and she sees that the soldier's letters are on the floor and that there's a letter from Carver. So she reads part of it and it says he isn't an oath. So he had to send the letters back and his Nan is doing well, but she's put out with him and he'll tell her why when he sees, when he sees her next or whatever, not next or when he sees her. Um, she gets interrupted then. So his nan is, like, annoyed with him? I guess because he left, is my assumption. But isn't that what she Listen. wanted him to do? Who knows? <laughs> okay. Maybe she didn't want him to go to the war front. I can see that being a reason, but... Truth. Who knows? I suppose. Um, but yeah, she's basically interrupted when Roman knocks, and she shoves the letter in her pocket... And she'll be gone for a week, but she doesn't have time to tell Carver that. So she basically is like, I'll read the rest of this later. And she tells her mother's ashes that she'll return soon. And she goes to the door and she sees Roman and she says his eyes look feverish. And she wonders if he's afraid to. Like I'd say, it's definitely a combination of afraid of her finding out that it's him. That's Carver. And also afraid of. Like, them being in a non-safe spot, basically. Yes, yeah. So, they go down with the captain, and Iris gets in the passenger seat, and Roman holds on to the side, on, like, the outside of the vehicle, as they drive. And Iris asks the captain about, like, the road and everything, and he's like, yeah, it's really bad and super bumpy for the next three hours. And she's like, I hope Roman can hang on. So... They end up stopping in Clover Hill, which is the town where the alarms come from. So it's not super far away, but the captain stops there for supplies and she tells Roman that they can share her seat. So she ends up sitting in his lap, which is just like such a, such a trope, but I love it. Um, obviously at first she holds herself super forward, but she can't do that for the whole ride so she ends up relaxing back into his chest and he holds her waist and they go over like a bunch of potholes obviously and Roman groans and she asks if she's hurting him and he says no (laughs) and I'm just like Uh... I don't think she's hurting him I know but it's YA So I, you I guess. know, anyway, um, yeah, she's just exactly. bouncing around on top of him and he's <laughs> Possibly. I guess we don't have confirmation of that, but that's what I took it as. Um, so there's, I guess, three hours of that and then they get to a town and a captain tells them that they'll be shadowing the Dawn Company and... The companies serve on, like, a 12-hour rotation, and this captain basically gives them information on where things in the town are. And Roman asks if they might see action, and she says yes, and tells them to wear helmets, obey orders, and stay down. And then she sends them off with a Lieutenant Lark. Can I just say, I, I will, like, I love how, um... Even though this is sort of like, hey, old timey, we're in the 20s, see? Um, 
I I love that like men and women are like equal, like in terms of yeah, like, like there's women captains in terms and, like, of the war. There was a obviously yeah Marisol and Keegan are together female and, like soldier. there's nothing said about that yeah. being normal or not normal or anything it's just like it's a thing Weird. yeah 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 and so remember we ha- constantly have the co- the the conversation about like what is considered token Every representation <laughs> versus not token representation <laughs> to me this is accurate Every book, yeah. To me, this yeah. is, like, accurate, good representation. Because it's just, it just yeah. is. It doesn't feel forced. Like, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like Marisol is married representation. to a woman just yeah. for, to get that, the LGBTQ angle. Like, that's not what it yeah. is. It just, yeah. you know what I mean? So, I like it. Yep. So, yeah. This Lieutenant Lark guy takes them to eat, and Iris asks him a bunch of questions. But he tells them that there are four companies per battalion, and there's 200 people per company. And there's four four platoons in each company. Oh my god. Yeah, so it's not really important that in this book... I guess the no. main point is there's like there's generally fifty people per platoon, and she is with his platoon, who are known as the Sycamore Platoon. And she asks why, and he says he'll tell her when the time is right why that's their name. And she then asks him like, who decides where Oath soldiers go since the Eastern Borough hasn't declared war on Dacre, so like they don't have a presence so any soldiers that come from oath are just like shoved individuals yeah so she asks what they do with them and he says they just like disperse them through their military wherever there's room basically so kind of what you'd expect but she's obviously trying to see if she can get a bit more information on her brother um so she asks him then if there's anything they shouldn't report on so basically says, like, don't report on any of our strategies or communications or locations or intel. So, like, the obvious stuff that you would hope that people wouldn't. Um, anything that could obviously help Dacre. And he says, like, even though they're supposed to be neutral, which is something we've talked about a few times, um, like, they won't be welcome or return from Dacre's side. So, like, it's not worth their while to try to go over there because he will destroy them. So, that's something. And he tells her if she can write what she sees and feels about who the soldiers are and why it's vital that the East Borough join, that is what she should write. And so she agrees, but she does feel overwhelmed by that, like, that mission basically well like it's almost like he wants her to try and like encourage people to join the war yeah on on emphasize but that's like yeah yeah but i think the point is like this war is gonna make it to oath and like by the end of the book i think that starts to become a reality but, like, if the Eastern Borough doesn't join, 
then he's just gonna take over everywhere. So I, I get what he's saying. And I kind of feel like the paper, as much as the paper is being like, we're on, we're reporting both sides, blah, blah, blah. Like the paper is very much leaning to Enva's side as well, it seems like. Yeah, it just like, it just, to me, it doesn't feel like the right thing to ask a reporter. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it doesn't, that doesn't feel like a, like, an ethical thing for a, to ask a reporter to do. It's not an ethical thing for a reporter to agree to, in my opinion, but I get why he's asking it, because that's what he's thinking. You know what I mean? Like, he should, he, him asking it, she probably shouldn't just say yes blanketly. Yeah. But- the ethics are on her side because she's the one that is supposed to be neutral. Like, him asking her, I don't think, like, I get why he's I doing guess. it because he's desperate. Like, you, yeah. But yeah, it, it realistically, ethically, she shouldn't agree to it because she's supposed to be neutral. Which, they're just yes. not. <laughs> that's just, that's just it. <laughs> no, no, none of them are neutral. Um, they walk for four kilometers to the trenches, and the trenches are still a few kilometers from the front lines, but even so, like, they need to be aware of their surroundings and stay down, and if hounds come, there are safe bunkers, and the ethrals don't actually bomb here because they don't know the difference between the sides, and they could just accidentally bomb all of Dacre's soldiers, so he just doesn't bother sending them out. Um, yeah. So Lark basically just tells them that if anything happens, that they need to run. And you're like, that's not really a plan, but it it is obvious. Yeah. It's also just not a good enough plan, (laughs) but they end up following his platoon to the trenches and in, in the trenches and like the trenches have wood on the bottom and they're wide enough for like two people to walk next to each other. And they end up walking to a certain area and they just like sit down on either side of the pathway. And Iris sits across from Roman and they both just like take out their writing pads and both start writing the highlights from the day. Um, so she, I guess, is sitting there and she feels a crunch in her pocket and she remembers Carver's letter. And she would prefer to read it in privacy. So she pretends to be asleep until Roman falls asleep. And then she pulls out the letter. Um, So she starts off basically where she ended. And um, Carver said, oh, maybe this is why this is some part of it. I don't know. But Carver says his nan wants him to write a novel but he doesn't have it in himself lately and he doesn't have the heart to tell her. So he asked her then uh, for more about her and he says he wants to know everything and he wants to know about her hopes and dreams and he wants to know dot, dot, dot. So yeah, she's hit in the face with a water paper and she looks up and Roman motions for her to open it. And he wrote asking what she's reading. And she responds, what does it look like, Kit? And he writes back, 
and says it's a love letter. So they go back and forth for a bit, but she basically tells him to mind his business. And she goes to read again, but he sends another ball and he like kicks her shoe so that she stops ignoring him. And she looks up and his face is like haggard. And she's like, what the hell is going on? So she reads his note and he says he bets that the guy in the letter is pouring his heart out and mentions his nan or his sister because he knows that'll melt her. <laughs> and, and he uh. must call her writing is- exquisite. And above all, he knows he doesn't deserve her or her words and never will. And you're like, he knows too much, girl. Click it together. <laughs> Either he's reading your letters yeah. or he wrote them. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not. Anyway, so she she's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> For someone who's supposed to be so, like, eloquent and intelligent, she is dumb. Yeah. <laughs> so he keeps staring at her and she puts the letter away. And she responds to him that he's overthinking it and to go to sleep. And she falls asleep and dreams of a dark-haired boy running just beyond her reach. Which is kind of like a parallel. I don't think I said what his dream was, but he told her that in his dream, he dreamed of her and she was running away from him and just beyond his reach. And he couldn't see who she was, but he knew it was her. So they... Sounds like they both kind of had the same dream, which is interesting. Which is kind of why I feel like there has to be more to this gods thing. Like, there has to be, like, I don't know. I just feel like there has to be more to the gods shit. But maybe in the next book. Like, more to the magic yeah, and like stuff. like, the gods are like... trying to push them together or something. Like, I don't know. Um. So, yeah. The next chapter i guess because we don't really get what exactly it is but it's kind of like it's kind of like a newspaper article so we get rules for a civilian in the trenches and it's obviously written by iris so she basically writes a whole article but the gist of it is the rule the first rule is to stay down the second rule is be comfortable with open sky and dirt walls but don't trust them. And if smoke is coming towards you, the enemy might be moving forward. So like, if the wind is blowing towards you, and it makes visibility harder because smoke is going towards you, so the enemy could be sneaking towards you. Um, Mm -hmm. The third rule is pray against rain. And she says that like, she didn't have to deal with rain, but Addie did. And it sounds like it sucks. The fourth rule is just ignore the rats. Um, The fifth rule is eat and drink enough to keep yourself fueled, but you'll always be hungry. The sixth rule is no fires at night, not even a spark to like light a cigarette because you could get blown up. And yeah, the seventh rule is there's no privacy, even when you need to use the loo. Like, that sounds awful. So three days basically pass and they spend the nights in the trenches and the days on the front line. And then we don't actually get anything about them being closer to the front line other than they like just wear their helmets and keep their heads down. 
So, yeah. Um, basically, at night, she ends up writing, and she writes about her day, and then she plays cards with the soldiers, and she gets their stories from them. And she kind of thinks, like, all the soldiers call each other brother and sister. And so Iris ends up thinking of Emily, and she thinks of her mother and Forrest and Addie and Marisol and Carver. So, like, all of the people that she cares about. Um, on the fourth night, she's exhausted. And she's still across from Roman every night, but she, like sees that he kind of has a bit of a beard going on and he looks like he's lost weight and he has a hole in his jumpsuit and she thinks about how different he looks here than he used to when they worked at the paper together um she ends up falling asleep and in her dream she walks the trenches and she's wondering where everybody is and where roman is and where she's supposed to be. So there's a lot going on. She hears hounds and she ends up going into a bunker. And once she's inside the bunker, it kind of turns into her bedroom at home. So it is very much like a dream. <laughs> and her mother is there. And Iris asks where she's been. And her mother tells her she'll be a famous writer someday. And there's just something nagging at Iris, but she can't remember. But her mother actually tells her that this is a dream and she wanted to see her again and that she's missed so much and she's sorry. So Iris ends up obviously remember remembering that her mother died and she ends up crying. Um, Roman is trying to wake her up and she recognizes his voice as the boy who brought her coach. And followed her to war and got her to run. And she starts to like weep and is kind of waking up, mostly awake. Jeez. So he sits beside her and tells her it's all right. And she just can't stop crying, basically. And she thinks that everyone there must think that she's weak. And Roman ends up taking off her helmet and, like, caressing her hair and comforting her until she stops crying. And he puts his arm around her shoulder and she leans into him and she apologizes and tells him that she dreamed of her mom and that she's embarrassed that she ended up crying. But he says that she has nothing to be sorry for and that nobody heard her but him. And it's not uncommon to wake up with tears in your eyes here. And Roman gives her a handkerchief, and she obviously teases him for having one in the middle of a war, in the middle of the trenches. Um, (laughs) But he stays by her through the night. And I 100% thought that something terrible was going to happen here. Like, I thought he was going to wake her up and be like, we're being attacked! Like, I, and then he took her helmet off, and I was like, she's going to lose her head! Like, I I did not think that this was just going to be like, and they were fine. Yeah. A nice moment. Which is like, I know that's yeah. a me problem too, but like, I can't, I can't like situations when I'm afraid something's going to happen. So it's almost like to appreciate yeah. that part of the book, I need to reread the book and know that nothing is going to happen in that moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in saying that, we skip to Roman's point of view. And I guess it's like after this moment. Um, 
And all he's thinking about for like a page and a half is like Iris writing his article. Iris being in the trenches. Iris. Blah, 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 blah. Like every second thought is punctuated with, oh, like can't stop thinking about Iris. Oh, the situation I'm in. Oh, can't stop thinking about Iris. It's just like over and over and over again. It's, It's just Iris all the time. Which, like, I don't hate, but it's, like, I guess typical of yeah, a 19-year-old boy. Really <laughs> um, so, all of a sudden, like, and this is, like, the next day. I don't think they were in the trenches for, like, a full week. Um, and all of a sudden, blasts start happening. And... Roman is like, oh my god, this is my worst nightmare, but it's because Iris is now in danger. Like, that's why it's his worst nightmare. It has nothing to do with him being hurt. It's it's all yeah. about Iris being hurt. Um, So, like, I guess the blasts happen and they're sitting together, so he, like, dives over her body to cover her. Um, and the, then the blasts stop temporarily after a few minutes. So he gets off of her and like, he can see how shaken up and scared she is. And he wants to like calm her and reassure her. But obviously like, what's he going to do? Like, he can't be like, it's okay. You're safe because he knows she's not. Um, so like he tells her to like get her bag and then he grabs, um, their notes because he's like, she's been working so hard. She needs her notes. Uh, and he thinks that, like, Iris has to survive this because he doesn't want to live in a world where she doesn't exist. So, we obviously know how he feels about the whole thing. Um, and then there's, like, another round of artillery and Roman, like, pulls Iris to him to protect her again and then Lieutenant Lark comes over and, like, yells at them, like, evacuate back to the town. And uh, Roman is, like, pulling her along. And she sees all of these, like, wounded soldiers. And she doesn't want to leave because she wants to help. But, like, she also is like, I'm not, I'm not a soldier. I'm a, I'm a, mm-hmm. I'm a reporter. Like, I'm a writer. Like, I can't really help these people. Um and, like, Roman is trying to be, like, come on, let's go. Um, and she's, like, but, but like, what about all these people? And he sort of agrees with her. Like, it feels mm-hmm. wrong leaving them. But, again, like, he wants, he agrees, like, they should be helping. But at the same time, they're not going to help anyone. Like, they're useless in this situation. Yeah, they don't really know what they're doing, so. So, no, at all. So, like. They're sort of standing around, like, contemplating it. And all of a sudden, um, something flies through the sky and, like, it lands really close to them. Um, and turns out it's a grenade and Roman's like, shit. So he, um, like, it takes him a split second to realize what it is. But then as soon as he realizes it, he literally grabs Iris, spins around so that she's in front of him and then like pushes her forward like run 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 um and they're running like this is through it they're in a trench right now so like it's not like they're just running across like open an open field or open ground they're in a trench um so like they're almost rounding a corner where they think like they'll be sheltered from the blast when it the grenade explodes 
And again, we're still in Roman's point of view. So all we get is that there's an explosion and they are blown apart. Not apart, like their bodies are blown apart, but like apart from each yeah. other. That would be a short book <laughs> if they were like just blown it would a be. bit. It'd be really funny. No, it wouldn't be funny, but it'd be. No, it wouldn't be funny, but it'd be an interest. It'd be an interesting take. It'd be like, oh, the okay, book. book's yeah. just over now. It'd be. <laughs> Both your main yeah, characters it'd die. Be an interesting thing. Yeah. Um. So Iris then wakes up. So we're in Iris's point of view next. Uh, and she wakes up. So like, I guess she was knocked unconscious briefly after the blast. And there are soldiers running everywhere. And she keeps hearing like this popping sound. Like, and I think it's insinuated that it's just gun gunfire. Um, and then we get that she actually did clear the corner before the grenade grenade went off. But she doesn't know if Roman did. Uh, so she's like frantic and panicking. She's like screaming out for him, looking around to see if where he is. Uh, and she sees him and she goes over and kneels next to him. And she doesn't know if he's dead or alive. And she realizes in this moment that she couldn't bear it if he was dead. Um, so she goes and talks to him and he's alive, but like he's just dazed from being knocked unconscious. Uh, and he keeps mumbling something about his bag, like, that she needs to get it yeah. for him. Um, and she's, like, just, like, dude, don't worry about your bag. And she's just, like, looking him over to make sure he's okay. Uh, and turns out one of his legs is, like, covered in shrapnel and it's bleeding pretty, pretty severely. Um, so she's, like we need to get you to a doctor. And he's like, but my bag, like I need to, I need you to get my bag. There's something in there for you. And like, you need to see it. And she's like, dude, like chill on the bag. So she just hauls him up and she's got no time for it really. So she like hauls him up and tries to help him limp, like to go for help. But he's so much bigger and heavier than she is. And they only get a few steps before she sinks back to the, he sinks back to the ground. And I just, I rolled at that. Like, he's so much bigger and heavier than she is. She's so small and delicate and little. Ugh. No, I get it. Sorry. Bug me. I think, I think I'd be able to carry Jeff. At the very least, a piggyback ride. I don't know for sure if I'd be able to, like, pick him up like a baby. I'll go try after this. But <laughs> I could, but yeah. I don't know, man. It's not like it's it's not like she's like carrying him on her back. He's just oh, got an arm yeah, over her, and he's limping. So like, I don't understand why. Oh, I'm but, so and it's like, it's, She's super short too, and she's just so compact and tiny. And like, I think every time this comes up, like, yeah, I'd like I literally me and Jeff are the same height and probably the same weight height. and we wear the same shirts this is his shirt i am wearing it like <laughs> i wore it to work all day we are the same sizes basically i actually wore a pair of sid's pants to bed the other day thought Can't they were mine to bed. they were joggers joggers to bed yeah i just i just buy men's me. sweatpants as my sweatpants but mm. i i right. could not imagine wearing them to bed I get cold. I take a hot water to bed when I get cold. 
a hot water bottle. Not hot That's water. Right. I take a hot water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> then I pour it in the bed. Lots of hot water. Pour it water. in the bed, and then I roll around in it. Um, no. Here's the thing. Okay, you know um, water yes, beds. I do know water beds. So, like, do you think that water beds, um, like, do you think that you could heat up a water bed? And like just be like lying and warm like almost like a giant yeah. hot water bottle i wonder how hard that would be you know what i mean like i wonder if that's a feature of water yeah. beds like if there's a top of the line water bed that you That'd can be heat cool. up i would like it i'm patenting it no <laughs> one else do it fair it's mine no one else can do it i'll make millions water beds are so popular right <laughs> Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Are they even a thing in other places? Like, yeah. Waterbeds? They had to. I feel like they were just a really popular thing in the 80s. Yeah, I guess. Nothing's coming up for a hot waterbed. A water-powered mattress. But that's, like, different. Waterbeds hadn't been a thing. They weren't just a thing here. I'm looking up hot waterbeds. Oh, you mean a hot water. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, I'm just I <laughs> I thought you I thought you were insinuating that that no one else knows what a waterbed is and I'm like that can't be no. true. Temperature control waterbeds from Wayfair. $2,299. Dollars. Yikes. That's that's expensive. I haven't I don't know if I've ever bought a mattress in my life, so I don't really know. <laughs> what we buy those um, those really compact ones that Indie you get in a box that like yeah yeah and like you break it out of the box and then it needs a couple of days to like that's pop. what ours is now Jeff bought it before we moved in together so that's the one we use now right yeah uh, okay well <laughs> back to the story I guess. So she is just so whittle that she can't handle him limping on her. So they sink back to the ground. And he sort of, he's like, I just want to tell you something. And obviously it's like who he really is. And she's like, tell me, sorry. She's like, tell me when you get, when we get back. Tell me when we get back to Marisol's. Like, this then you can tell the me. Like, give up this shit. <laughs> no. And he just makes a suggestion, like, why don't you go get out of here? Like, leave me. I'll do what I can here. But you yeah. should leave me. Um, And she is, like, adamant that she will not. And she's like, like hell, I will. Um, and then she starts thinking about how she wants the opportunity to survive the war and grow old with him. <laughs> and I just, and she's like, we'll go from friends and then we'll do all the things that couples do. And like, it just really came out of left field for me. For her, but then it's like, but then after side. this moment, it's gone. <laughs> like she thought this in this moment. And then later on, it's like she's never had this thought in her life. And she's like, fuck him. I don't, it just comes so fast. It's like, wait, I what? Know. 
Because she's like, I like Carver. But now she's like, Roman, I need him to live. I want to grow old with him and be with him forever. And it's like, so what? Carver's chopped liver now? I know they're the same person, but you know, don't know it that. It was so out of left field. I was so confused. It was, I got yeah. whiplash. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, she tells him essentially that if he dies in this trench, then she's dying with him. And if he chooses not to move, she will literally get up and drag him body and bones until Dacre, like, arrives and kills them both. <laughs> so, you know, not dramatic at all. No. <laughs> uh, she does, though, under- realize that, like, there's no way she can, like, support him on her own. So a soldier just happens to run by and she's <laughs> like, hey, you, I need help. And I'm like, why didn't you just do that the first, yeah. like, first? Um, anyway, and she's like, take me to Station 14, which I think is, like, the main base, sort of, of of the operations here on the front yeah. lines. Um, and the soldier tells them that they need to hurry because Dacre's forces have taken the very front Yee. trenches. Yeah. Uh, so they almost get like back to where they almost get where they need to go and then they encounter a section of trench that is literally littered with like wounded and dead soldiers like bodies everywhere and there's no way for them to like get around them but then she sees the captain who brought them to the front the guy who took them in the in the truck and calls out to him and says like hey captain like hey uh and she's like he's hurt it's just his leg like he needs medical attention so he arranges for roman to get a stretcher transport to a lorry aka a truck i think rebecca ross is most definitely a british writer (laughs) uh so carries him to a lorry uh for evacuation but then he also orders iris to help gather and evacuate as many wounded soldiers as possible so like wants her to go back through the trenches with the like with the soldier that helped her with roman like to go grab a stretcher to go back through the trenches looking for other people that are alive to like bring back um and he she was like um (laughs) sort of hesitant and he's like i really need as many hands as i can get right now So she's like, okay. Um, So she puts Roman down in a spot, like, close to a truck and tells him, like, you're going to be fine. They're going to put you on one of these vans, truck things, and and they're going to get you medical care. And she's like, I'll find you after. Like, don't worry, but I'll find you. And he doesn't want her to go. And he tells her they need to stay together because they're better that way. Which is yeah, cute, I like I it. I'm like, I just I get so much anxiety reading books when stuff like this happens. I'm like, why are you leaving him? What if you're gonna die now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's like that that horror movie <laughs> thing. Like, don't go in that room. That's yeah. where the killer is. It's almost like that. Like, don't leave each other. That's the that's what you know. That's what the bad people this is want. How you die. Yeah. Um, anyway, she just, like, sort of 
tells him to stay strong and then she kisses his knuckles. Well, she wasn't going to kiss him on the face, so. No, I guess. It's just weird. Like, she doesn't like him and then all of a sudden she wants to marry him and kissing him. Like, it's just, anyway. Um, so... Every time, so like she goes out with this soldier guy in a stretcher, they keep bringing soldiers back, and every time she comes back, she sees that like Roman has moved up in the line um, to be transported back to the town, until she finally comes back and sees that he's gone. So she assumes that he's been transported and is on his way back to town. Uh, So they go once more into the trenches and she actually trips up over Roman's bag, coincidentally. (laughs) And remembers that he was like talking about it nonstop. So she was like, I'll grab it, I guess. Um, And then they go back to the station and she's standing there and she's like covered in dry blood. And then the captain is yelling at her like, what are you doing here? Get on the the (laughs) truck. You should have evacuated an hour ago. And I'm like, dude, did you not order her to yeah. stay and help? Why are you now? Ye- how is she supposed to know when, how long she's supposed to stay yeah. and help for? Ugh. Anyway. So they, she gets like hoisted and like shoved in apparently the last truck leaving. And Lieutenant Lark is there and he's wounded And he's like, why are you here? Like, I told you to get out of here ages ago. So, like, everybody's just mad at her for the fact that she's still there. And she doesn't even say, the captain ordered me to stay and help. She says, I wanted to help. But, like, did she? Because she sort of hesitated on the helping. Anyway, I don't know. So, I just, I just don't know. Uh, anyway, so then she tells, uh, she tells, no, sorry, Lieutenant Lark tells Iris that they are all gone. Uh, they being his platoon, the Sycamore platoon. They're all dead. Which is really sad because Iris literally spent the past few days, like, hearing their stories, getting to know them, playing cards with them, like, you know, bonding with them and hearing that every single one of them is dead is, you know, a bit of a shock and and sad, right? And he's, she can tell that he's obviously in pain, both physically because he's injured and, uh, you know, emotionally because his, his friends are dead. Um, and she offers to tell him the story of how Emba bested Dacre with a harp. Um, and so she tells him the story of that Roman, like the myth that Roman wrote to her uh, about Emba and Dacre, which he really likes. So he then says, I owe you a story now. So this is, I guess, his quote unquote right time to tell her why... Uh, his platoon were called the Sycamores. Um, And he says that they all grew up in the same small town and they were all farmers and they all decided collectively to join the war and that maybe if they all joined the war together, then they could help end it sooner. Um, And 
there's a huge sycamore tree in their town that like sort of stands over everyone and like on top of a hill and they the rumor is that the hill the tree is imbued with like magic because it's been hit by lightning and it hasn't fallen and they sort of the rumor is that like the tree's roots sort of is what helps nourish all their crops to give them plentiful crops and stuff so this tree is this sycamore tree is very important to them and sort of sacred Mm -hmm. almost and magical so they decided they would all carve their initials into the tree before they left as sort of like a prayer for the magic to watch over them um and he sort of said like he didn't even want to be the lieutenant but it's just you know that's how it happened like that's just what happened he ended up didn't say how he got chosen but he just he said it fell to me and he had to take that on and he said he didn't want to have to worry about being the one to tell all the people he grew up with like that people had died like he didn't want to have to be the one to break that news which is part of the reason why he didn't want to be a lieutenant um and he just said like now if i live through this i'm gonna have to do that for every single person and he's like i'll have to say it over and over and over again which is very sad and like you know he closes his eyes and iris just like has nothing to say to him like she there's no response like what can you say to that um and she just holds his hand and sure enough he dies an hour later in the van as they're going back to the city and she just sits there holding his hand and crying in the in the van or in the truck so it's a very somber moment Mm -hmm. uh so they get back to avalon's bluff Uh, and they usher her to the infirmary, even though she keeps telling them, like, I'm fine. Like, she just has some superficial scratches and bruises and stuff. Like, she's not injured. Mm -hmm. She wants them to use their resources for people that are actually injured. Um, But somebody comes and, like, cleans up her her cuts and stuff like that. Um, And... Addie actually finds her at the infirmary and hugs her and was super worried about her. Um, And Iris immediately asks about Roman. And Addie tells her that he was in surgery upstairs, but he's just come out of it. But she's allowed to go up and see Mm -hmm. him. So they go up. She approaches his bed and she realizes that, like, a lot of the wounds he has are because he protected her. Which we kind of realized. Yeah, right. Um, and then she doesn't understand why he took the wounds that were hers. You just fell in love with him in five seconds. Maybe you can put it together. <laughs> yeah, but that's 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 her story, and she's sticking yep. to it. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I just uh, this uh, her sh- her emotions. And I get that she's been through a trauma, 100%. Like, however, her emotions are literally going, like, like I said earlier, I'm getting yeah. whiplash from her her thought processes and her emotions yeah. at this point. 
Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what to, how to, I honestly do not know how to respond. Um, so a nurse sort of says, like, um, you got him to safety. Like, you know, he's lucky, like, that you were there mm-hmm. to help him. And, like, essentially, like, you saved his life. Yeah. And then she's like, no, he actually saved my life. And, like, I guess they kind of saved each other's lives, yeah. really. Which is nice. I like that no one is beholden to the other, if that makes sense. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not one person, like, beholden to the other for saving their life. It's that they each saved each yeah. of each other's lives um anyway so marisol finds her next and is crying because she was worried and iris like it finally clicks that she was safe in this Mm -hmm. moment like she's safe now and um she's finally like lets go of the weight that she's had and she starts to cry um and like marisol lets her get it all out and then takes her home to, like, rest and stuff. Um, and, like, they go home and Marisol's like, go ahead, shower, do what you need to do, and I'll make you something to eat. Um, and, like, showering, she said, is, like, hard because she hears sounds and, like, is still mm-hmm. jumpy. Um, but, like, she does it, she eats, and then she literally passes out in her room. She is so exhausted. And, like, yeah, she went through a traumatic experience, so, like, it would make sense for her to be exhausted. Yeah, so, uh, the next morning, she wakes up, and everything comes rushing back, and she immediately thinks of Roman, and she needs to see him. Um, then she thinks, she sort of, like, guiltily then thinks of Carver, And how, like, she hasn't really been thinking of him lately. Like, she's just been thinking Mm -hmm. of Roman. I know. Ugh. Um, so she goes to, like, check and see if he wrote her a bunch of letters. And, like, there's none, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, so she then remembers, oh, yeah, I never did finish reading that letter that he sent me before that I took into the trenches. So she fishes that out of her pocket. Um, and she was really worried that she was going to lose it. And I think I forgot to mention at some point that at some point during this whole thing, she actually lost her mother's oh, locket. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah. Right? She lost it in the trenches. Yeah. Um, it was a minor detail at the yeah. time, but it's not actually a minor it's detail. It's hard to know when you're doing a first read. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, so she did lose her mother's locket, and she was worried she was gonna, she had lost the letter too, but the letter was still in her, in her pocket, so she starts to read it, and the letter essentially says he wants to know, he wants her, like, to know everything about her, but he also wants her to know him, and he tells her that he loves her, mm-hmm. but then during the whole thing when he's like telling her i really want you to know who i am and blah 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 he actually uses the words that Addie and iris gave roman earlier when he asked for a synonym of 
sublime. So Addie gave him transcendent and Iris gave him the word divine. Uh, and so those words were in, in the letter. And she starts to piece those things together immediately. And she remembers how stressed Roman was about his bag. And she still has it. So she dumps it all out and finds her letters in there. All of them. And she also, like, he was like, get my bag. I need to tell you something. So, like, I wasn't like, ooh, don't look in his bag. I was like, yeah, look in his bag sooner. Figure shit out. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, figure it out, girl. Come on. Um, But, yeah, so she is sort of like... She's figuring it out, but sort of, like, shocked at the same mm-hmm. time. Um, and she feels, like, overwhelmed because she's, like, relieved that it's him because she's been having feelings for both of them. So, like, she's relieved that she's just having feelings for the one yeah. person. However, she feels, she is worried that he is, like, playing her. Yeah. Or, like making a game of yeah, it. Yeah, she's very because she's distrustful like, of Roman. <laughs> yeah. But like, valid point. Like, she just, but like, yeah, I just, she doesn't trust why he's mm-hmm. there. And she's like, because remember her immediate thought when she saw him was, he's here to one-up yeah. me. So, she's sort of worried that that's what this whole thing is about, is him like, besting yeah. her. And she's like, you know, if he wasn't playing her, like, if this was honest, why didn't he tell her about it Mm -hmm. sooner? Like, why did he keep it secret so long? So, she is spiraling, we'll say. She's stressing out. So, she decides to go right to the infirmary to talk to him about it. Um, and, like, she says that when he sees her, his eyes, like, light up and he gets so excited to see her. And it's, like, so cute. And then uh, she's, like, just mad at him. And she's like, you kept this from me. Like, you made me look like an idiot, essentially. Because he sort of tells her that he knew right from the start that who she was. Because she mentioned <laughs> the columnist job at at the uh at the paper so like he tells her he she was because she's like when did you know that it was me and he was like right from the beginning (laughs) and she's like she's like you it like made me feel made me act like an idiot you made me look like an idiot and he sort of keeps insisting like that's not why i didn't tell you i just didn't tell you because i didn't want you to stop writing me but, like, she's just mad that he lied. And, like, valid. I think her, like, you know, she's allowed to be upset that he lied Definitely, to her, yeah. I think. Right? Um, And she goes to leave because she's like, I, I just, I need some space. I need time. Um, And he tells her not to leave. Um, Like, and he says, like, he does, he obviously he didn't want to hurt her. And, like, why does she think he's here? Like, he asks her, he's like, why do you even think that I'm here? And she's like, obviously, it's because you want to outshine me and prove that you're a better writer. And I'm like, how did, how did this, 
I just, how did, I just, again, yeah. whiplash. She literally is like, oh, I want to grow old with you. Oh, I'm so relieved because I love both of you. But, oh, you are just and trying like, to outright me. <laughs> I just, he already did prove he was better. He got the job. <laughs> like, why would he throw it away and then do it again? And like, yeah. And like, too, he mm-hmm. saved her life. Yeah. Like, what does she think that is? Does she think that that's nothing? Anyway, so she's like makes to leave again, and he tells her not to leave without granting one final request. And like, she's pissed, but she like sort of feels bad for him that yes. he's like laid up in this hospital bed. So she's like, fine. Uh, and he asks her, he says, ask me what my middle name is. And this sort of goes back to mm-hmm. week one, I think. Um, how she mentions that like, he always signs his articles with Roman C. Kit. And she always was teasing him, asking him what the C stood for. And he would never tell her. And she started making mm-hmm. up like pretend ones to be funny. Uh, so he's like, well, ask me now. So she asks, and he was like, obviously it's Carver, like Roman Carver Kit. So the name that he was signing his letters for her. Um, So then, like, I guess she's gotten closer, like she's close to the bed now enough so that he can grab her. And he just grabs the back of her head, not in an aggressive way, but like he grabs the back of her head and pulls Mm -hmm. her to him and kisses her. And like... She loves the kiss. Like, they are hardcore making out. And she loves it. And she says she can tell by the kiss that he's wanted it for a long time. How? I don't know. How? <laughs> Is it, like, sloppy? Is he, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like, that's what I think of. Like, it must have been, like, a really sloppy, icky kiss. I, I like, he's know. trying to swallow her whole. <laughs> I don't get it. That... That's the vibe I get. Yeah. If, if I get if what it, you're saying. Yeah. Swallow her whole. Um, anyway. So, they're interrupted by a nurse. A nurse mm-hmm. just comes in and goes, <clears throat> And, like, she even says, the nurse says, like, if this is what you're going to be doing during visiting hours, <laughs> then you're not going to be allowed to have visitors. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be doing it with everyone. <laughs> and it was funny. Yeah. Um, so she, like, turns really red and she just leaves. She's like, nope, not doing this. Um, and she gets home and she writes herself a letter, sort of the way you said at the beginning mm-hmm. of this episode, like, sort of journally. Um, and she realizes that she loves both Carver and Roman, but she doesn't know how to join the two of them together. Yeah. Which I think is valid. Um... And she sort of figures out that he's been trying to tell her for a while, but, like, has he? Like, he's, he's given hints in the letters, and she should have figured it out, but I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's him trying to tell her. <laughs> Good enough. Yeah. Um, and she's afraid that he's going to hurt her or that she's going to lose him. Like, she's lost, like, every other person she's been close to. Um. And she just, she, it, she wants to be vulnerable, but she, like, she's just afraid. So, 
few days pass and she's working in the garden one day and Addie finds her and tells her that, you know, Roman is home from the infirmary and he's up in his room. And, like, she hasn't been to visit him at all. Um, Addie tells her that, like, he doesn't really look well. He looks defeated and, like, sort of, like, heartbroken and that, you know, you should, she's like, you should go see him. So she does. And he's, like, just in his room in the dark, lying on his bed. His eyes are closed. He's heartbroken. He's cranky. He's a cranky. Cranky boots. He's a cranky He's a cranky baby. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That, too. And he's sort of like, go away. Like, I know Addie came down to you to tell you to visit me. Like, don't feel like you have to. Just leave me alone. So, like, he really does feel like, I guess, he lost his shot you know um so she asks then if he would like to go for a walk and like get outside get some fresh air and then initially then she's like oh maybe actually we shouldn't because of your leg and he's like i'm fine and she's like i want to go up the hill and he's like yeah that's fine i can handle it like i won't break um so they start walking and sure enough he's struggling like really yeah. on the and struggle like she bus. Struggled she's using to a do crutch to walk right now. When she didn't have any injury at all. Yeah. With two legs. Anyway, yeah. so, you know, great idea, <laughs> Cyrus. Let's take an injured man up a hill. Anyway. So then she starts listing things off. She says the word salty. And he's like, What? Yeah. Like she literally just blurts out yeah. salty. <laughs> he's like, What the fuck are you talking about? He doesn't say that, but he's like, what? And then she says, I prefer salty over sweet. And then she says, I prefer sunsets over sunrises. I like the autumn because of blah, blah, blah. And <laughs> she said that she'll kill anyone for a cup of tea. Like she dies for tea. Um, and he sort of understands that there are actually answers to questions he asked in his last letter. Cause he said he wanted to get to know everything about mm-hmm. her. And I think he might've like, rattled off a couple of questions these things like do you like sweet or salty do you like sunrises or sunsets what's your favorite season like do you like to coffee or tea? Yeah. like just like those random things that you get to get to know a person um anyway so this conversation makes him really happy so then he answers back so he says that he's got the biggest sweet tooth on the planet he likes sunrises over sunsets he likes the spring and coffee. Yeah. So, like, their answers are all Opposites exactly the opposite of each other. <laughs> so, like, I roll. Anyway, but it's cute. Yeah. So, they obviously keep flirting as they walk around, and he just wants her to, like, keep telling him things about <laughs> her. And, like, she tells him a weird story about how she had a pet snail. Um, and, like, he just says, tell me more. And she's like, if I tell you mm-hmm. more, you're going to get sick of me. Like, I can't tell it every tell you everything at once. And he's just like, no, never. Like, um, they talk about her middle name a little bit. It's Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. But he's like, is it, like, effervescent Iris? Like, is it enchanting Iris? And she's like, no. It's Elizabeth. Um, and then he he's like, I need to tell you something. Um, and he says he doesn't care about writing stories for the Tribune or being a war correspondent um, because 
he says like his goal is he wants to see her stories on the cover and he just wants like to start a life with her and she jumps (laughs) right to is this a proposal (laughs) like she literally asks is this a proposal yeah like just because he said he wants a life with her yeah and i'm like geez louise how did we get here like it just it just sort of blew my mind i guess it's it's old timey if you're gonna propose a life to someone it's but still it it was very shocking i was like what the fuck it was (laughs) we just jumped right in there to i don't know if i can be vulnerable with him because i don't know if i trust him to are you asking me to marry you it's like, is that going to wipe the site clean if that's the case? Like, is that all you're here for? <laughs> yeah. I just... Anyway, so... Uh, he asked then, he was like, if I did, would you say yes? <laughs> and, or if it was, would you say yes? Or something like that. And she just says, like, you're going to have to ask me, like, properly and find out. So then he actually gets down on one knee... <laughs> And it's like, dude, really? Like, we're in the middle of the road here? Like, you're injured? Uh, But on his knee, he ends up pulling a stitch and starts bleeding. (laughs) Not romantic at all. So then she's like, dude, like, come on. So they stopped somewhere. Like, she puts him in somebody's yard and then there's a cat. And he's like, I'm allergic to cats. And she's like, deal with it. I'm going to get you somebody. (laughs) Yeah. So then she runs, uh, like, down the road to somebody that she knows owns a truck. I think Pete or something <laughs> like that. Um, and gets him to go back and and stick him in the back of the truck to bring him back to the B&B. Um, so they get back. And later that night, I guess, when they're all settled down in the rooms for the night. Um, they are in their respective rooms, separate. And they're using their typewriters to write each other messages. So they're almost like texting each other because it's like immediate. And they sort of like speak vaguely about his almost proposal. And he tells her like, in order to do it properly, it has to be done in person. (laughs) Yeah, it does. It does have to be done in person. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then she tells him like, you can ask me tomorrow. And she's like, but but we shouldn't go for any more walks. We should probably just stay in the garden. Yeah. Because, you know, you can't walk anywhere. You probably shouldn't and so he says, walk like, kilometers. Yeah. So then he's just like, okay, it's a deal. Like, tomorrow in the garden. And I'm like, it just feels like it's lost the romanticism at this point. They're planning when he's going to propose to her. Yeah. And, like, again, the fact that he's proposing it all. Out of nowhere. Out of he nowhere. He started this scene depressed and heartbroken. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I just. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Don't, don't know. So, anyway. That is where we're ending off this week. Uh, with, will he actually propose to her tomorrow? Maybe he's going to ask a completely different question. Maybe, like, about cheese or something. Like, I do like cheese. <laughs> <laughs> who doesn't? Um, so we really don't know what's the proposal. I don't know. Maybe we're off the mark. Maybe it's not mm-hmm. a marriage proposal. Who knows? 
so we'll find out next week uh (laughs) so uh we're gonna wrap it up for this week if you want to get in touch with us and share your thoughts on anything you heard in our episodes or if you have any book suggestions please reach out to us by email at coffeeandcoread at gmail.com or check us out on instagram or facebook at coffeeandcoread and coffee.coread on tiktok Next week, we're going to be reading chapters 36 to the end of Divine Rival, Rivals, Rivals, Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross. Um, so make sure to follow along. And if you're enjoying our chats, don't forget to follow, rate, and review wherever you get our content. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you on the next page.